0: Welcome to Art Talks. I'm your host, Richard Codd, and I want to thank you for joining us here today on KZMU at 90.1 and 106.7. On today's show, we have with us local architect Courtney Kaiser. She's going to be uh, discussing current trends in the field, and also we will be talking about uh, her project over there on Murphy Lane. And then we'll also hear uh, my interview with William Mertz, uh, who is a professional photographer in Traconas, Mexico, and he specializes in bird and wildlife photography. And then we'll also uh, hear about uh, the Moab Music Festival's Winterlude, which will be starting here on, uh, I think it's the January 26th. And then I'll also be talking a little bit about the fourth annual Sci Fi Festival that'll be starting in February. So uh, we have a, a, a jam packed agenda. And first off, let's start right away with Courtney Kaiser. Welcome, Courtney.
1: Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me.
0: How are you today?
1: I'm good, thanks. I'm really excited to be on Art Talks. I love your show.
0: Oh, well, thank you. You know, the last time we talked was a few years ago when I did a show on women in architecture in Utah.
1: It has been a few years, hasn't it? I can't even remember if that was before or after COVID. (laughs)
0: Uh, I'm trying to remember. It may have been during COVID, um, but it was right around there. And, you know, I, I did send it off. I heard from um, where I went to school, the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee, and I had sent it off to the Dean of Architecture and Urban Planning out there. And she actually uh, listened and commented on it and, and had a student follow up with me. So it was really interesting uh, so yeah, and and I, I'm guessing that some of the issues we talked about uh, a few years ago about the number of women in architecture is probably probably very similar today. Uh, maybe maybe women have made some small progress in in the professions, but I'm uh, um, I wonder. Hopefully there, hopefully they are. Anyway, what I wanted to uh, talk to you about, and we can also touch on that if you like, but. You know, I was thinking, uh, w- what's happening in architecture? Uh, any new uh, exciting building techniques out there? Uh, should we all be getting solar panels on our houses? Uh, so, what's up?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, well, all kinds of stuff is up. Um, but the most important thing to me is what's happening here in Moab. Uh-huh. And we've got a bunch of good stuff coming down the line in my opinion mostly housing that's the the section of our um, design here that i'm the most excited about and there's just a lot of projects coming up Um, murphy flats of course being one of them
0: (laughs) yeah tell me about murphy flats
1: um, Murphy Flats is our project, thirty-seven uh-huh. units. It's on Murphy Lane. Probably most of you have uh-huh. seen it, right? Um, just near the bowling alley, and we're really close to finishing construction. Um, at this point, we actually have fourteen units that are occupied.
0: And fourteen, okay.
1: Yeah, I can't tell you how exciting it is for me. Oh,
0: it's been. I've been watching it for, as it's been going up for how? At what? It seems like almost two years.
1: It's only been a year it's oh my hard goodness to see, oh, geez. a year and a it's, few months okay. um but depending on the day it feels like longer <laughs> yeah
0: yeah i guess but no it's made uh tremendous progress uh i you know driving by i was trying to used to try to envision 30 units of and i was like wow where are they gonna go but now you see how they're all stepped back and uh moving along so congratulations on that project by the way
1: thank you it's
0: it it fills a real uh need here in moab
1: thank you um we think so too and as i mentioned housing is something near and dear to my heart and there's such a variety of different projects coming down the line of course we know the great work of community rebuilds and Mm hasu and what they're doing at arroyo crossing but there's also things like the workforce housing that's going in on Mill Creek Drive. Um, I think that's Colin Fryer's project. Mm. Mm. And there's also the ADO program that the county has put into place. And that's primarily for tiny homes and it's for shorter term rentals, mm-hmm. um, not short term, but three month minimum rentals. Mm-hmm. And that's also a wonderful thing because that helps our workers that are in the tourism industry that are here for shorter
0: spans oh, of time. Right. So if they might be here for six months or something. Yeah, yeah. Um. And what did you said ADO? What does that stand for?
1: Alternative Dwelling Overlay.
0: Okay. Um. You know, <coughs> talking about about um, modular homes, smaller homes. Um, you know, most of us, we live in our our current home, um, and it, you know, it, if we talk about new techniques, it's not like I can tear down walls um, and and put in super new uh, insulation. Um, or reorient the, the, my house to face the sun better. Most of us, when we're talking about new, new things in architecture, it's, isn't it, is it mostly what I can redo to my house?
1: So thank thanks to the Biden administration, they have put in place a lot of rebates for things that you can do to your current home. Mm. Some of those things include replacing your windows and doors, which is a huge bang for your buck as far as energy efficiency goes. Um, and they also have rebate programs for replacing your appliances. So you can replace your range or your fridge or your washer and dryer with Energy Star appliances. Mm. Um also, switching from propane or gas appliances to electric appliances has a big impact on your personal home. So there's definitely money out there and things to be done, even on existing homes.
0: Yeah, but I hate cooking on electric <laughs> stove.
1: <laughs> well, then you might want a an induction.
0: Oh, it, it can can you can you fine tune those better?
1: Absolutely. And oh, really? And you can use your cast iron.
0: Yes. Really, they
1: work with casting. You know,
0: I, 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 hopefully, my wife is listening. Um, w- w- that's one of the things we talk about all the time: is how when you're trying to simmer something, it's like you're always ah, it's, you you're know, on right. electric, and I was <laughs> like ah,
3: yeah. Um,
0: so, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize you could do that with induction.
4: Oh yeah.
0: They're oh, pretty okay. nice. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, um, and. We before you came uh before we came into the uh, uh, studio here, we were talking about among some new trends container homes uh, tiny homes. Are we seeing any of those here in moab?
1: We're definitely seeing tiny homes mm-hmm. um and I also know there are people in town that are trying to use modular and prefab construction. Um, There's not really enough warehouse space in our country to supply the full need for that kind of construction. But I do think it's the direction that we're going in, where you can have at least pieces of a home brought to a site and assembled very quickly. It seems like there's a lot of efficiencies to be had from materials.
0: Is that popular across the country?
1: I think it's becoming more and more popular.
0: So... uh, what? again we're talk- not talking about building the entire home um and shipping it in one or two pieces to the site or, or, or are we or That's
1: one way of doing Mm -hmm. modular and it's certainly something that's pretty popular. Your house shows up, you have a foundation ready and they plop it on the foundation. Um, But there's also all varying degrees of prefab and modular. So that could mean a panelized system where the walls and the roof show up and then get assembled.
0: And is that actually cheaper?
1: It's not cheaper, it's Mm -hmm. more about efficiency and speed. Mm-hmm. So we know the three the three aspects of construction you can only have two of them and it's quality time and price. Mm-hmm. And so I think modular and prehab, prefab go into the quality and time categories mm-hmm. but are at this point tend to be more expensive than site built.
0: Hmm. It, it just it's it's it it strikes me that you know here we are building homes hundreds of years uh, of experience, and it's still a lot of stick construction. Now it's aluminum uh, construction, right, for the... And it, it just seems to me to be so time-consuming. If, if these were built off-site, like we were just talking about, maybe, maybe the cost of the construction... Uh, say, just to get a wall is a little bit more than on site. But like you said, it's done, it's already uh, uh, manufactured, and it's brought to the site. So it eliminates lots of potential snags along the line. But, but in, I, I just wonder if, um, in the long run, it might be a little bit more expensive up front you benefit in the long term because of savings perhaps from uh, heating and cooling and other expenses.
1: I definitely think think? that there's a possibility there and it also depends on the contractor. We have a lot of really great contractors here Mm. that have a really high quality of construction so it might be hard to beat them because they're just so good at what they do. Yeah
0: but you know uh, again it it in, in Moab and Grand County, it can take a long time to get uh, a craftsman to your house to do something.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. That's something that's been a real challenge, especially since COVID for the last three years, is the backlog for the local contractors is just so long. Um, and unfortunately, those prefab and modular companies have also had a very big backlog. People have just been building like crazy but now that things are sort of starting to level out it will be interesting to see if modular and prefab start taking up a bigger market share here yeah you
0: know, i i had i caught the end of a discussion there uh, a few weeks ago they were talking about uh construction techniques and opportunities for saving money and one of them was what we were just talking about uh prefab prefab and that can be not the whole house but what we're talking about components of the house mm-hmm. maybe trusses or wall interior walls and and the gentleman had mentioned that in the US the prefab construction accounts for an extremely small percentage of of the uh, construction total uh, in housing, I think he said somewhere maybe less than 5%. I think it was around 2% compared to Sweden, where 80% of their housing has some degree of prefabrication of the materials. And I thought, holy smokes, maybe that's why we love IKEA or they or, or we have IKEA because of them. But uh you know, may, maybe in the future that could be something we move towards. What do you think?
1: I think you're exactly right. I do think it's the direction we should go in and we need the warehouse space to make it possible. Even if you think about it here in Moab, if we had a local warehouse where you could prefabricate some portion of a building with the same people, the same subs, but they got to build inside of a warehouse instead of being on a cold job site, how much better would that be for everybody?
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And another thing um, we had talked about, um, new materials, do you see new materials out there um, in your reading or you know, that you've started to uh, use? Whether it's hemp uh, concrete, I don't even know exactly what what that is. I guess uh, how it's fabricated. But do you see any other um, materials like that that perhaps we're not using currently in Moab, but will be here in the foreseeable future?
1: Something we've been trying to focus a lot on is how to reduce the carbon footprint of construction, Mm -hmm. and There are a lot of ways to do that with existing building materials. Um, One of the methods that comes to mind is if you're building a wood framed wall, maybe you use a double two by four wall instead of a two by six wall. The size of tree that you need to mill a two by four piece of wood is smaller than a two by six piece of wood. So, inevitably, the amount of time that it took to grow that tree is shorter.
0: But it will still have the uh strength Mm -hmm. characteristics
1: yes exactly okay okay yeah so it's just thinking of different ways to use materials that are currently available Mm -hmm. um unfortunately here in moab we're probably not going to be super cutting edge Mm-hmm. Um, we're, it, we're kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's kind of hard to get here. That's why we love it. <laughs> That's why we love it. Um, <laughs> but as a result, um, things need to be tried and tested in places where they're more readily available and maybe there's more subs and then we get to experiment with them here. So I think what we focus on a lot is just how do you reduce the carbon footprint w- with the materials that are available?
0: You know, another topic I've heard relating to to construction and i don't know if it's just, if it's uh, here in the US but the waste the amount of waste on construction sites and and you know i'm not an expert but you drive by and you see all these pieces of lumber that are just in the dumpster and, and you think holy smokes that's all good stuff i could use that but it, i don't it, does that go back to what you were just saying being smarter with with how we use our materials?
1: Absolutely. And that is something that I've learned at Murphy Flats really getting to to watch the construction from the very beginning is it is super difficult to combat the amount of waste on a construction job site. And mm. I think I'm glad you reminded me of this because <laughs> something that I do want to do here in Moab is figure out how to actually have some kind of restore center where we have a place where you can take building materials that are scraps that somebody can use them
0: that's a great idea
1: I think we really need that yeah
0: yeah huh well you know let's uh maybe we can uh conclude wrap up with talking about the Jetsons or (laughs) one of those uh old cartoons where they were predicting you know we'd be living in these super high towers and um, floating around on our little uh, jet-propelled units but uh, any anything big exciting that that is coming out there that that we should be looking for
1: you know, this is very anti-Jetsons. I don't think that they would even know what to do with this. But <laughs> um, mass timber framing is what I see to be the upcoming new thing that I hope comes here wh- soon. Wh- what is that again? Um, it's Basically, it's using a smaller lumber mm-hmm. and you glue it all together into oh, big beams okay. and columns. And so you can have a sky rise that is made out of wood. So it's a far more renewable material than steel and it's gorgeous. It's beautiful huh,
0: huh. So. Well uh, geez, I was hoping for some really outer spacey thing because you know, I' I'll be <laughs> talking, I'll be talking about our sci-fi <laughs> festival but well all right well Courtney, uh, anything else bef- before we wrap it up?
1: I really appreciate you having me.
0: Well thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time today and uh, congratulations on Murphy Flats and continued uh good luck with the project over there. Uh I'll keep watching it as I as I drive by.
1: Thanks very much.
0: Thanks so much. All right folks, you're listening to KZMU on 90.1 and 106.7 and now we are on 90.7 in San Juan County. So um again I want to thank Courtney Kaiser for coming coming up here today uh, I really enjoyed uh, speaking with her about some of these new trends and in, uh, in, in architecture and maybe uh, we'll start to see some um, in in the near future uh, next up on Art talks is my interview with some folks Um, from the Moab Music Festival about the upcoming Winterlude. And let me see if I can cue that up. Hold on one second. Okay, so we're here now with the folks from the Moab uh, Music Festival, Amy Weiser and Erin Groves, who are here today to talk about Winterlude. Welcome.
3: Thank you so much for having
0: us. So, uh, folks, tell me uh, all about Winterlude. I know it's coming up.
4: It is coming up. Yeah. 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 So, it's coming up uh, January 26th through February 2nd.
0: And we're talking with Amy. Amy Weiser is the executive director of the music festival.
3: Correct. And I
0: said, and Erin Gross, who's in charge (laughs) of. I'm the community engagement and fundraising
3: that's right development okay. and community okay. engagement director okay. yeah. you,
0: you have one of the hardest jobs <laughs> thanks so so anyway tell me all about it
4: well on um, winterlude is our uh, community uh, a time in the community when it's cold and it's just freezing cold outside and what do you do in the wintertime and so the moab music festival developed winter L- L- as a time to really engage the community and offer something to do in the wintertime and this is our time for workshops and classes uh, that we do in the schools and that we do for adults in the community and we also offer um a few concerts as well so right. it's it's the time to um just come on out and uh, Warm up. Warm up, learn some things about music, and see some concerts.
0: Oh, good! So, how do, um tell me where where does it happen? Um, what are the dates?
3: Yeah, so, so there's a little bit of something for everybody. Okay, um, if you are more of a music listener, we have some concerts on. There's a concert Friday night, uh, January 26th at the Hoodoo for ages 21 and up. That is the Allison Shearer Quartet, which is a jazz group. They came last year. They were very well received. Mm -hmm. They uh, sold out at the Hoodoo, and then they spent the week teaching our local jazz students, which they will do again this year. Um, So you can see them on Friday, January 26th at the Hoodoo. And then on Saturday, January 27th in the evening, you can hop on over to star hall where mm-hmm. ages six and up can come here. The warp ensemble, which, uh, I think their name is very fitting. They were formerly the warp trio. They are now warp because they're a group of four. Okay. Uh, they really take chamber music kind of to some really interesting and non-traditional places. So, um, if you like more experimental music, that's a little bit cross genre, um, almost a little bit of pop, a little bit of rap, a little bit of chamber music all in one. Um, yeah, and you can check them both out online as well in advance if you want to hear them. Where are they from? Uh, they're both new york-based artists um they will be uh coming out here to uh, lead these concerts but also doing a lot of workshops while they're here so our local students of all ages will get to interact with these artists that are kind of you know from a different part of the country and they will be teaching uh let's see in school, we'll be having them teach the jazz students over at the high school, string students at the middle school, uh, more string students after school. And then um, in the evenings, this is where we really, we, I mentioned something for everybody. So if you're a music listener, you can go to our concerts. If you want to come help make some music, you can join us in the evenings for our adult workshops. Oh, okay. And so these are Monday through Thursday, uh, 6 o'clock to 830 at Star Hall and you can audit the class or you can bring your instrument and jump right in and there's something different every night. So the two groups are going to co-teach We'll go back and forth from some jazz improv-style workshops to a master class to uh, even a class on composition for film. So
0: so I should dig my old clarinet out of the closet? Absolutely, yes. Richard. I cannot wait out. to yes. see
3: You bring yours. I will bring my clarinet, too. I'll meet you there. <laughs> Please do. So. Uh,
0: so this is really more about education mm-hmm. this week. Right? It's a, It's It's some presentation of music, Some there'll be some concerts, but a lot of it is about education. Correct. So you're partnering with with the high school, the middle school.
3: And the Beacon After School and, and program. And the School. school. Yeah. Programs. Yep.
0: yeah, so that's terrific. So, yeah. Um, so when and where? How do we get tickets?
4: So to get tickets, you can go to our website at moabmusic.com. Fest, fest.org org. Okay. You can call us, uh, 435-259-7003. Two, you,
0: what, what was that again?
4: 259 Three area code four three five, and you can also come down to our office here. um, And a
0: human being will answer. A human being will answer. This this is not like calling uh, your.
4: No, uh, between nine and four, you'll you'll surely get a person um, Monday through Friday. And then our office is located at fifty eight East. 300 South here in Moab. And you can also walk in and purchase
0: tickets. So. And you're right, Nick, you're in the advertiser building. We are, I mean, we're in the just, advertiser. Everybody knows that building. Yes, so. for sure. Okay, well, I want to thank you so much. Um, the, the the event at the Hoodoo, right? That's filling up or there's still tickets Tickets available? are still
3: available, okay. but those are $30. $30. Uh, well, 30 to $50. they are pay what you wish. Okay. And then Star Hall on Saturday night for the Warp is... $20, uh, pay what you wish.
4: And um, we, we, yeah, there was a coupon offered, but it expires January 15th, yeah. which Uh-oh. is really soon. Yeah. You should have gotten it in your coupon book you get yeah. from the advertiser. Uh-oh. And that gave you uh, some money off on these yeah. concerts. So if you still have that laying around, you better use it. Well, yeah. I
0: used to work at REI. And I did people, too. You did, and people come in with the coupon. Like it could be six years old. I was like, no, 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 no. Will you honor? who you honor it if it's expired?
4: I'm going to I'm, being say, the devil's I'm going advocate, to say yeah. no right okay. now but okay. yes if
3: you
0: get flooded with them you <laughs> we'll have to think about it. I
4: will see
3: I will also point out there are several free events as a part of yes. this week that we yeah, do want to make yeah. sure people know about so mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. one of which is Sunday uh, January 28th there will be a pop-up concert it's free and it is featuring Warp pianist or keyboardist Mikhail Darmain and that is again at 3 o'clock Gallery Moab and that one is free Mm -hmm. and then uh, the previous day I mentioned we have something for all and truly Mm -hmm. that is the case Saturday morning January 27th at Star Hall at 1030 we partner with the Grand Grand County Public Library to do musical story hour events so we have one of our special musical story hours Uh, Warp will be performing Peter and the Wolf with narration read by our own Rihanna Medina. Uh, She's on our board as well as at the Multicultural Center, so we're very excited to partner with her. Um, And then, of course, everyone can come check out how hard all of these students of all ages have been working on Friday night, February 2nd at Star Hall, 7 o'clock, all ages welcome for the Winterlude Showcase. You'll get to hear a little bit of the Alice and Shearer Quartet, a little bit of Warp, and then all of the different student groups will be performing as well.
4: And that is a free event. Yes.
3: Yes well so there's again, a lot going on yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> a busy week
0: there certainly is and i want to thank erin groves and amy weiser from the moed music festival for uh, putting on the winter Lute. and thank you for everything you do for our community throughout the year thank
3: you Richard. thank and you and same to you richard yeah. for doing
4: art talks we love it so thank you oh thank
0: you so there you go. That was Amy Weiser and Aaron Groves from uh, Moab Music Festival. I had chatted with them earlier in the week about uh, the program. So that begins the week of January 26th. I think you'll enjoy it, especially this Warp Trio and the Allison Shearer Quartet. That sounds like a lot of fun. My next interview is with William Mertz. Mr. Mertz is a professional photographer who I was able to talk with um, in December while I was on vacation down in Mexico about his work and the difficulties and challenges in wildlife photography. And then we also talked about artificial intelligence and how um, it's changing the field of photography uh, in general and uh, particularly particularly, in the development phase. You're going to hear some noise. Uh, the interview was conducted outside on the patio of the hotel. And you're going to hear very faintly waves crashing on the shore. Um, And you may hear some other related sounds to that. But you know, sitting here in uh, Moab in the winter, that's probably not so bad. So here's my interview with uh, Mr. William Mertz. And we're gonna have a link to his uh, photographs and uh, his email so you can check out more of his work. So my next guest is William Mertz, Uh, He is with me here in Troncones, Mexico, in the state of Guerrero. And we've been coming here, as I said, for uh, vacation for a few years. And I discovered on one of the trips that William is an amazing photographer, um, an extremely talented man. And I asked him uh, if I could interview him today about his photography. And we'll have, uh, hopefully, a link to it, and you can see some of the pictures uh, that he's taken over his time here. But anyway, um, let's have a nice welcome for William Mertz. Hello, William.
2: Hi. How are you? How are you today? I'm doing very well, thank you.
0: Good, good. Hey, um, so let's get, let's get right into your uh, photography. That's okay. one. Of, that's one of your many or uh, artistic talents.
2: Yeah, photography is kind of what I focus on because it's easier for me and um, gets me out, so I can enjoy nature as well as uh, kind of expressing what's here to other
0: people, so that they can enjoy it as well. So. What? Um, what? What? what your, your photographs, what do you focus on? Do you have a, a, a favorite um, uh, topic or, or not topic, but uh, something, do you prefer wildlife? Yeah,
2: I, I do mostly, like if I'm doing what I truly enjoy, it's primarily bird photography. Hmm. But I also do, you know, I do some landscape photography and nature photography if it presents itself and becomes available. Um... But if I'm out and just having fun, and, and or I'm making a trip somewhere, it tends to be focused on on birds and bird photography.
0: So, um, your English is of course is very good. Absolutely, well, I'm perfect. American. <laughs> exactly. So I was going to I was I was going to ask you how um, how long were you in the states, and then when did you come to Mexico?
2: I came to Mexico in 1998. Um, went back to the states for a short period of time in the interim, but. Have been in Mexico for 25 years, more or less. So, I consider myself as much Mexican as I do American, and as far as
0: culture and such right. goes. Um, so, your photography—I've—I've uh, I've gone on a couple of uh, hikes with you. Do do you do you use special equipment?
2: Nothing more special than just you know a decent a decent telephoto lens and and a good camera. Um, but I don't. You know, I, I'm not a person of means, so I don't have extremely expensive equipment. Mm-hmm. You know, you could buy $10,000 lenses that are going to do better jobs than, or, or create better results maybe than mm-hmm. what I do. But within the means that I can afford, you know, I just do a mm-hmm. good telephoto lens and a good camera, basically.
0: Mm. How would you describe um, the art scene? Uh, maybe in Zywantaneo or here. Are are there a lot of other photographers?
2: Photographers in this particular area not so much. Um, There are, there's an up-and-coming community of of bird photographers, Mexican bird photographers in Mexico who are combining um, a growing passion for nature and, and, and birds and bird photography with displaying their photos as well which is really nice because this is something that, that in the past I never saw so a lot of people younger than me who are in their you know 20s, early 30s who have the means to purchase some decent equipment are now getting out in the field and, and photographing birds and, and sharing those photographs with other people which I, I really enjoy seeing that mm. and I like running into them and talking to them and, and sharing time with them as well
0: and, and you've actually, you lead Uh, Photography tours, somewhat, yeah. Yeah, uh, what? Tell me a little bit about your profession, like. um...
2: Well, as far as like what I do, I mean, I occasionally will take people out for photo tours or birding tours. I'm not doing that as much as I used to. Right. Um, But I still will occasionally. But I do like to get together when there's people. Like, if I know that there's going to be a, a, a group or a small group, I don't like large groups, but a small group of people who. We're we're going to go out birding or, or doing bird photography. I'd like to get together with them just because it's always good to share with people who have similar interest. Or I don't know if you can necessarily learn from people in the field, but you can certainly you know express your interest with other people and and share your passion with oh, other sure, people. Sure. So that part I like.
0: And, and you and you probably can learn
2: to a degree. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of bird photography is just through trial and error. Um, and luck and luck <laughs> and luck but I mean it's as you're studying the birds you learn how you learn behavior oh. and so therefore learning the behavior of the birds becomes very very crucial to taking photographs because you understand you know is a bird feeding or is it getting ready to fly or does it look like it's going to be kind of stationary mm. uh, you learn you know the ways you can move the way the bird might move there's a lot of things involved in it so
0: and and I was just thinking, you're saying that about the bird moving. There could be movement you want to capture. Sometimes, yes. Like a, a bird taking off.
2: Yeah, and you have to be prepared for that because you're going to change your, your shutter speed and so on in order to capture that. Because if you're in a in a semi-low light situation and you're shooting at a slower shutter speed and the bird goes to take off, you're going to get a blur. But if you're prepared mm. for it, then you can be shooting at a higher shutter speed and you can capture wing and and sometimes get some really nice shots like that
0: it, I'm jealous of you guys the photographers you know I go out there with my uh, iPhone or I, I do have uh, you know digital camera mm-hmm. but it's always on automatic yeah because I just don't have the the skill the the, the, the knowledge uh, the experience of, of playing with the aperture and and the settings, but I think that's why professional photographers they they can capture something that we just don't have the opportunity. Maybe we have the opportunity, but not the skill or or the patience.
2: There's a yeah. There's a couple things involved in that. So like with bird photography, especially, um, like for me, getting a little bit technical. I set my ISO on, on automatic because...
0: And the ISO is... Is your aperture. Aperture.
2: And you don't for me, I don't want to have to be playing around with the aperture and the shutter speed at the same time because if you're trying to adjust too many things in the field, you're going to lose your shot. Right. Um, so if, I, if I'm trying to adjust the aperture and then I'm trying to adjust the shutter speed and I'm trying to line up the bird and I'm trying to get the shot... In that five seconds that you're doing all that stuff, the bird could be gone. The bird's gone. So if I can get my shutter speed fairly close to where I think I want, which usually I'm shooting, you know, 600 to 1,000 to 1,200 uh, frames per second, then, you know, yeah. then with that, then I can usually just, with a dial, I can just click in and out. But then if, I, if I'm if i going to be shooting like a landscape or something, then you're setting up, you're doing more with it. and. Right. And then you have time to really sit down and think about that stuff. But surprisingly, if I'm doing landscape photography, as much as I hate to admit things sometimes, I often do that with my phone rather than with my camera because, A, I don't want to switch out lenses, and B, I bought a very expensive phone that's capable of doing that stuff, and and specifically for that reason. Well,
0: there you go. Yeah, you know, where where we live in Utah... Um, Which
2: is absolutely beautiful.
0: Stunning place for sure. Um, Many of the photographers of course take exquisite photographs of the landscape Mm -hmm. and and, and the night sky and those are just incredible to me what they can capture. But talking with you, the wildlife photography must be more difficult.
2: It it is. It's more challenging, and that's actually what I like about it. Because, Mm -hmm. I mean, I I love landscapes, and I love landscape photography to a degree. But it doesn't challenge me, Mm -hmm. Um, because well, I live on the beach. I live where there's a beautiful sunset, probably (laughs) seven nights now, six nights out of seven
0: most times. Oh well, we haven't. Some of them. Yeah, some of them have been a little
2: cloudy lately. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, it. Beautiful. It gets it gets old, and so therefore, I, you know, I can photograph sunset after sunset after sunset, yeah. and every photo. Well, to quote Ansel Adams, a good photograph is knowing where to stand, and so as long <laughs> as you know where to stand,
0: with a sunset, you're going to get a good photo. You know, Walt Disney helped us with that. Remember in Walt Disney Land? Have you been to Disney no. They have photo. Oh, they have like little places. Stands, yeah, yeah. And and they tell you, they show you what the picture will look like. Yeah and you stand your person and then you have this beautiful And see, so
2: that's perfect because, and, and, and that's exactly how it works with landscape photography and like for money I do real estate photography as well and so um, if yeah. I'm going to photograph somebody's condominium right. they're like well how do you make my place look so nice and honestly it's the same thing it's lighting of course post production of course which is incredibly important but also knowing where to stand what angle how to, how to frame it and so on and even in bird photography it's it's or, or any wildlife photography you have to look for if a bird is in a tree you have to look for what we would call a window mm-hmm. in the tree so a space where there's no foliage covering the bird or where you can work around and you have to learn how far can you press that bird before it's gonna fly mm-hmm. um, so yeah it, it's, it's complicated mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I like about it. I like to be challenged. I think that's why people also like things like sports photography is because I would put it sort of on the same level with that. Mm-hmm. I did surf photography for a while, and surf photography is kind of the same kind of thing. You could take, you know, 50 photos rapidly of a surfer, mm-hmm. and one will come out exactly right. what you want it to be, you know?
0: Well, that's. Uh, you remember we'd have our camera with 20 roll, 20 pictures yeah. on it, you take you'd be out there all day you take some pictures you go you send them off to the drugstore to get developed you get them home and you go they are all blurry yeah something was wrong (laughs) in your
2: settings or something wasn't right so this is okay so this is where you draw this division between old school photographers and new school photographers and people who don't appreciate what's happened in photography I started off as an old school photographer Um, I learned to shoot on a Minolta many years ago when I was in high school. I took my first photography classes then, and it was that. It was rolls of film, and you shot your film, and you either sent it to the lab to get developed, or we had a dark room. And it was expensive, it was time-consuming, and it limited your photography, to be honest with you. And when the digital age arrived, a lot of people really, really fought it. Um, And it took me a long time to truly embrace it, but now we're at a point now where if you're not shooting digital, I feel like that you're missing out on the possibilities. Because when I go out in the field and I shoot birds, if I see a bird, I I ran into a pair of oyster catchers, American oyster catchers on the beach the other day. I've been waiting three years to get perfect shots of this bird. And I probably took 700 photos of these birds in 10 minutes. Why? Because the bird blinks, the bird moves, the wave crashes, things happen. I may never see this bird in exactly the right position again for right. the next five years. So you just, you're just you able to take advantage of a situation with digital photography that you never could with film photography.
0: And that changes everything. And 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 you're and you're so good. You you even produce the Troncone's uh, guide to birds. I, I, I helped.
2: I was I, part of it. Okay. Some That's, of my photo- photographs were used, yeah, yeah. and then I helped with the input of it yeah. as well. Yeah. And,
0: um, and and just as a segue, um, you you were also responsible for their for Visit Troncone's website. Yes. So you're you're a well-rounded. Uh,
2: yeah, well, um, I was I studied visual communications, okay. which is
0: graphic design. That's what right. my degree is in. Where'd you get
2: um, that? It was a, a school called Collins College in Phoenix, Arizona. Which. Um, Collins, it, it's it's a, a visual design school. It's, it's oh, a graphic okay. design school. Oh cool. And so I have a, a degree in visual communications, and then I have. Uh, I studied scientific illustration as well. Oh, nice. So I'm an illustrator, but I don't do illustration anymore. I moved into the photography aspect. But I, I paint occasionally. I draw. Okay. I, I do other things as well.
0: Um, yesterday, the, uh, shifting gears a little, mm-hmm. there was a really interesting article in the New York Times about AI in yeah. photography. Yeah. and And the whole, and what's happening. How... How images are? What are we seeing anymore? Right, Is right. it true? And right. you know, now with the campaign that's going on in the U.S., you see these doctored pictures that you know people are uh, complaining about. But, but also other images where they'll I, there's one in the paper. Perhaps it's a it's a bird, and they create the whole environment around it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and there's, is AI is that art? Is it photography where you take a picture and then you manipulate it so much? Is it still the picture? So it was interesting reading. Uh, if you get a chance, you might want to.
2: Yeah, and my check opinion that on that is that's that's the next great division in photography that's coming: is people who are going to embrace AI and people who are going to discount it completely, right? Um, and then people who are going to go kind of a middle ground with it. And I'm a middle ground person on it. So do I use AI in my photography? If you do post-production, you're using AI. Photoshop. Um, you're, and, and Photoshop is a word that's branded about as, right. as a, a catch-all. Mm-hmm. Photoshop is more for cropping, adjusting things here and there, but if I use, okay. if I use, uh, Topaz Labs puts out a really great product that uh, takes the noise out of your photos. Um, that's AI. Mm. Uh, mm. Now Photoshop has, has expanded themselves. So if I take a photograph that is oriented vertically mm-hmm. and I need a horizontal out of it, I can actually crop the photo horizontally, add a couple of inches on each side, ask it to fill in what it believes belongs in that section Mm -hmm. and it will fill it in and it could be just foliage and a couple of branches and it will fill it in to a point where you would never know that it was filled in to be honest Um, and with that situation it is it is it manipulated to a point where it's no longer my photograph absolutely not because the core of the photo is still mine all you're adjusting is the orientation of the photo in such a way that now it has something added to each edge of it do i do that all the time absolutely not and what do i use it for like if i'm doing right now i'm i'm writing a book a, a, it's a photo book primarily mm. but it'll have some text in it mm. and a lot of photos I have to reorient in order to fit the format of the book and so right. if the photo doesn't fit the format then I need to stretch it around a little bit or, or do a little something with that I might use that to, to, to do that.
0: My, my opinion is technology changes exactly all the time yep and we chase it Yep, basically and if th- the difference to me is, you start with a picture. You right. took that picture. A, the camera didn't take it by itself. You saw something that you wanted to capture, and you went out and did it. And then you came back and you said, "This can be made better." This, this. So you're just tinkering with what. Post
2: production is a part of all photography, all the way back in time. Even Ansel Adams was, was all post production. All post
0: production. Right. So but it's he just saw changed something.
2: Now there's a different form of AI that is pure generated. You type in a prompt and you say, I want it to do this and this and this and this, and it produces a photo from nothing. And it will be at a point within the next, I would say within the next three years, where that will be virtually indistinguishable from a true photograph. Yeah. Is that art? It becomes questionable at that point now it becomes something that's more commercial it becomes something more that uh, an advertising agency might need where they're going to need something like that because they don't want to pay a photographer anymore royalties for their photo and then now a photographer is going to be put out of business um, just like they can produce actors for a film without having the actor in the film now
0: and, and, so, and that was part of I think the writers it was part of the, strike. the exactly. strike they were saying wait a minute exactly they
2: can write a script without writers they can put actors in a film without actors um, so yeah the world is changing and there's no stopping it so. and,
0: and it's happening we have to learn how to deal with that right because we have the technology it's never going to go away no, no it's only going to improve it's going to improve because there's a certain sect that's going to keep improving it whether you
2: embrace it or not is up to you right it, nothing disturbs me more than on Facebook or some other social media platform to see a photograph of some clearly invented bird or scene or something that's just as fake as the day is long. And people saying, oh, this is God's great creation. Look how beautiful this creature is. And that people are so gullible and so easily fooled.
0: That's what and that's concerns me about the it. future. That's the fear of it. And that's what this article... It got into a little bit about that—that right. that the manipulation of of people's thinking yeah. with these f- uh, fake uh, photographs yeah. or whatever they're trying to put exactly. across. Exactly, exactly. Um, well, you know, who knows? My, I have friends. I have friends who um, do uh, computer art. Do, do do their art on the computer. Sure, and it's gorgeous. Sure. and there are people still well, you know that's well and that's why that's but, what, but that's changing you know, and so
2: that's when the, when people start again branding around that word photoshop that's photoshopped that's photoshopped every single photograph that you see that's published mm-hmm. is photoshopped, quote unquote right they've all gone through post-production mm-hmm. in some form or another mm-hmm. Why? Because that's what's required in order to make them a viable piece of work mm-hmm. to be used. Mm-hmm. It has to... You have to adjust. And it used to be done in a dark room. You mm-hmm. could tweak this. You could tweak that. You could adjust this. You could adjust that in a dark room. Right. Now we do it on the computer. On it computer. used to be that you talk to your dark room person and ask them, can you bump this? Can you do that? Right. And now we do it ourselves. Right. You know? Right. So. I, I think it's all... I think it's pretty cool what's happening. For me... This is what made me a photographer, as opposed to a person who took pictures. So again, going back to Ansel Adams, another quote of his is that if you came up with 12 good takes a year, that was a good year. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not viable anymore because mm. if that's a good year, that's a bad year. Yeah. Because yeah. now you, I mean, I can take 500 photos of something and pick out two that I like. And if I only took 12 good photos a year, I'd hang up my camera and quit. To be <laughs> honest with you.
0: Where do you where do you see um, photography going? Say that it, it, you know, AI um, is is pretty much here. It's just right. going to be how it's how it's changed. Is there? Any, have you seen anything beyond that? I,
2: I disregard the AI aspect of it, other than in editing. That's the only just part of it everything. that's going to be interesting to me. And for the things that I already said for photography, all yeah. I see is just better quality equipment. And and actually more accessible prices in a lot of ways, um, you know, megapixels on cameras they they have kind of in my opinion topped out uh-huh. because if you go 48 megapixels on a camera you really don't need anything more than that. Um, mm-hmm. There's just no reason because if you're if you're printing a photograph you don't need more than that. Um, it, you're, you're looking primarily at lenses and lens clarity, and making a lens affordable. Mm. Um, and if you can buy a good quality lens that's going to take a sharp photograph for under two thousand dollars, that makes it most people can afford that. You know, most people can can put that within their range where they can buy that and then become a viable photographer. For less than three thousand dollars, you can get a good camera body and a good lens that's going to put you in business of taking photos that you can be proud of if you learn post-production.
0: There you go, there you go. If
2: you don't learn post-production, you're going to end up very, very disappointed. So... Huh, huh.
0: So it, it's... That's interesting. Uh, so it's not just taking no. the picture. you
2: could stand next to me with the same camera and the same equipment and take the same photo that I took at the same settings and i'm going to show you a better photo if you don't know how to do it out cuz you're
0: going to adjust the light or whatever smooth it out smooth. a little bit you might have a hot spot yep. in the picture that's you... exactly right
2: that's the that's the part that the that a photographer doesn't talk about so much because mm-hmm. it's not a secret per se but it's the part that that isn't in the forefront you know, there's, there's a, the, another expression. People say, oh, a good photographer can take a good photo with anything. True but not true. You can get a good composition, mm. but you're not going to get a good photo if you can't make it look good.
0: And we didn't even touch on that. The How important composition is. It's just Incredible. like if, if you're doing a painting. Yep. If, if your eye is up at the top left corner, it's never coming down to the bottom right. Sure. So when you compose your photograph, you're wondering how is that going to be seen in totality?
2: Yep. In in landscape photography, it's simple. Because in landscape photography, you can look through the lens or you can look through the back of your phone or whatever you're using, and you see your photo the way it's going to come out. With bird photography, it's a little more difficult because the birds are moving and you have to grab the photo as you can. So what I try to look for is, again, in post-production, how can I crop this photo in order to make it work. And again, you run into these purists who say, well, you should get it in, if you don't get it in the lens, then it's not the right photo. And I I just don't believe that. I believe that if I can get the basic photo in the lens, but knowing that when I get back home, I can crop that photo down, then I still captured the photo that I wanted to get. Mm -hmm. But I mean, why would I discount a photograph of a beautiful bird just because I can't get it in the rule of thirds in the lens, mm, you know, mm, and that, mm. and that's what it all comes down to is the rule of thirds. Rule I mean, that's thirds. what everything comes down. Yep, to. Yep. Yeah.
0: Well, William, I I really want to thank you. To um, be, how can we're gonna post some pictures if you don't mind? Sure, on, no, I can send on, on pictures the website on, yep, so when people tune in. They, they will tell them. Sure. Go to the to, to your website. They can see some photos. Um, if they are interested, what to see some more of your work, what, what is your website? I
2: have a website, William And how do you spell Mertz? M-E-R-T-Z. Okay. So it's two M's in the middle, so it's William And uh, there's photographs on there of both my commercial work and my my uh, personal work.
0: Um, okay. And it they can see it that way. And That's you it. and you ship to you will ship them. Can you ship? Not
2: really shipping so much right not now. Yet. I'm not really prepared. So to maybe, do in, that. The future, that's maybe in the future. Maybe in the future. Because I know
0: we've, I talked, like we've talked offline about that. Yeah, about yeah. It's a possibility in the one. future. Well, may, maybe you'll get some requests. And, yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, so. DHL is, is, is always a possibility from Mexico.
0: They do a good job shipping. Oh, okay. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got packages from here. Yep. DHL. So, yeah. mm-hmm. okay. Well, William, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us here thank on you. KZMU and Art Talks. And I, I, I put in a plug. We are staying at a facility here, a beautiful hotel that uh, his wife runs, has been running for several years. And I, I believe it's one of the nicest hotels here. I like in, to think in, so. In, <laughs> in Troncones. Yeah. So, William, thank you so much. And thank you. we will see you again. All right. Thank you very much. Well, I hope you enjoyed my interview with Mr. Mertz. He is indeed a wonderful photographer. And like I said, we'll have some pictures of his up on the KZMU website. Um, Before we close, I just wanted to take a moment to mention the Moab Sci-Fi Film Festival is coming up next month. Uh, It starts on February 2nd. The first movie is It Came From Outer Space. And then on February 9th is The Day the Earth Stood Still. And on February 16th is Arrival. Uh, So hopefully you can get out and enjoy one of these films. And they are uh, sponsored by uh, Moab Arts, uh, the city of Moab, and the Moab Sun News and this is the fourth year that my wife and I Nora Shepherd have been working with The Mark in producing uh this event it's it's absolutely a lot of fun it's free there are door prizes there are there's free popcorn is given away along with uh, some other uh uh tchotchkes. so again It's the 4th Annual Moab Science Fiction Film Festival, and it'll be held over at the Mark, which is, of course, on 111 East, 100 North, in the Moab Arts Building. So I want to thank all my guests today for a a great show here uh, on KZMU. We will be back next month for another edition of... Art Talks.
4: You can hear Art Talks on the airwaves at KZMU every third Monday of the month at 4 p.m.